Phil. Uh, well, just until we get a bit closer. Okay, there we go. That's next. Morning, everybody. Uh, apologies, this is a slightly unorthodox way to introduce yourself to a new group, but that's the way I tend to do things. Uh, my name's Tom. My wife, Izzy, unfortunately, is not here this morning due to children issues, um, but she's quite an important and crucial role in my journey, part of my journey to this Christ. Um, I was brought in a home where I was given latitude and liberty to explore religion however I wanted. And certainly by the time I had lessons, that was more of a rebellion. I had nothing I wanted to do with Christ or anything uh, of that nature. Then, met Izzy at university, we started going to church because he was raised in a church in a house where she would go to church quite regularly and she wanted to get back into that. And we went to a great church in Portland and then later, Beacon in Stanford, where I started to question more, still with a very mm, hard heart. Um, but that changed about a year and a half ago, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, Alex had given a sermon about Luke 1, about the Holy Spirit. And it was almost like a moment of desperation. I just thought, I'm going to ask one last time. I don't know why I want to, but I just want to one last time. And I did. I asked God to fill my spirit with the Holy, you know, fill me with the Holy Spirit and, and help break this sort of really hard, callous heart and make it soft and supple to receive God in Jesus. And then later, I turned to was singing, and pops uh, one of the congregation, Lawrence, and he just started praying for me. He said, He knows I'm. I'm struggling. The Holy Spirit's told me I'm struggling and he needs to come and just pray for me now. And that was just like, how does that happen? And then later, this is a really odd bit, but I was doing some homeless chores and the crown was on and it's Philip when he is talking about if a man doesn't have faith, then what does he have? And again, I was like, wow, I'm thinking about this stuff. This is right at the same time. And it's just time and time again, these little things that just remind you that he is there, he is listening to you. And I then decided, yes, I need to accept and receive Christ as my Lord and Saviour. I believe in God, I believe in the resurrection. And what better way to do this now than to affirm in front of all of you as witnesses today. I'm, I'm really pleased that you're all here to see this now. And uh, yeah, couldn't be happier. Other than the lack of sleep, but that's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks, Tom. Okay, I'm going to ask Tom um, three questions and. Uh, then we're going to back four questions, sorry, and then we're going to baptize Tom. Um, Tom, do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Do you turn from sin, renounce evil, and intend to follow Jesus? Yes. Will you live within the fellowship of the church and serve Jesus Christ in the world? Yes. Then upon your profession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks, John, come on. We're going to uh, hear from Alex now. Um, so um, I'm going to get Alex to come up and uh, just going to ask him a couple of questions to introduce him to you because uh, some of you have never met him. Um, Alex is one of those people who um, you, uh, if you're a regular member of this church, um, won't have come across Alex particularly, but you will recognize his work almost certainly. Uh, because um, I, I, I tend to lift wholesale aspects of his, of his ministry. Um, for example, he's the man who coined the phrase uh, courageous in mission, Bible saturated, spirit dependent, and loving of others. 
which I repeat ad nauseam, and uh, I, I nicked it straight from him. Uh, uh, without telling him, I told him afterwards. Um, that's how we like it. I always think it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. Uh, and uh, Alex is a pastor of uh, Beacon Church in Stafford, uh, which is a great church up north. And I want to ask Alex to share a little bit about how, how he came, became a Christian and uh, then to share God's word with us. Um, he's been an enormous help and encouragement to us. So a lot of the uh, framework of the church, the kind of underpinnings, the bit that nobody else sees except for me and Heathers and the leaders, is actually worked out in conversation with Alex and with other people like him. He's an enormous blessing to us, and I just want to honor you for that. Thank you very much. Um, so Alex is going to come and share with us. So Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came to know Jesus and then share with us from the Bible. That'd be great. Uh, uh, thanks very much, Phil. Are you, are you going to uh, sit down? Uh, not sure everything Phil just said was true, but uh, everyone needs encouragement, don't they? So I will be encouraged by it. Uh, how did I become a Christian? May I just answer that question first, first of all, if that's all right? Because it's a journey, isn't it? And I suspect some of us um, maybe wouldn't say we're a Christian. We're not sure what that exactly means. Uh, watching on the, on the live stream or the recording or whatever it will be later as well as in the room. Um, I come from a wonderful and fantastic family. I know that's not everyone's experience, but it was a, it's a really, really amazing family. Mum, dad, a couple of sisters and a brother. Uh, but no no religion, no spirituality, never went to church, never experienced uh, anything to do with anything vaguely religious uh, at all, until I was about 20 years old, um, and uh, I met a group of friends, some of whom were Christians, they were really great guys, and they started, they, I started to think about, well, what made them tick, and there was one guy especially, I'll just tell one story, just then you get used to my voice a little bit, and then we'll, uh, we'll make sure we hear God's voice from the Bible, uh, the one guy called Paul, and he was a really great guy, um, we played sport together, really, really great guy, but he was a Christian, so we used to give him a little bit of banter and that kind of stuff. And I remember one night, really clearly, it was like uh, the end of season, sports ball, there was a couple of hundred people. I'd gone along, my friend Paul had gone along, we were all dressed up in our tuxedos, all the ladies were in their really glamorous outfits. Um, and we were sitting at the same table, about eight of us, and he'd had a couple of pints, he hadn't got drunk, and then the strippers we'd hired came on. And my friend Paul, he just stood up, no big funfair, just stood up and he says, lads, I don't want anything to do with this. I'll be back in half an hour, but I don't want anything to do with this. And he walked out. Now, I don't know if you can imagine the kind of reaction that we gave him. Um, we said all sorts of things, shouted at him as he walked out the door. The whole room started to bang on the tables. On the outside, we gave him all this, but on the inside, I was, wow. Wow, incredible that a man should live like that. And it absolutely blew me away. And it wasn't actually my friend Paul who told me about Jesus, but it was because of my friend Paul that I listened when someone else did. And that was a huge turning point for me in terms of meeting Jesus and the journey that he has uh, come on. And so I do want to encourage you that if you're, you're not sure who Jesus is, um, uh, that take that step and introduce yourself to Jesus because he's very, very keen to meet you. Phil can help you with that um, or I can help you with that um, after the service or you can email Phil if you're watching this online um, and he can help you think through what that looks like. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, if I may, that God would speak to us. And while I do that, I wonder if you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 in your Bibles or on your device. Uh, if you're here in church in the building, that's on page 1,186 of the church's Bibles, page 1,186. 86 of the church's Bibles. Um, I'm going to pray for us first of all, just as you're hunting that down. Father God, I thank you that you are a speaking God. You're not like that elite sniper who is present but silent and invisible from us. Uh, that you're much more like that toddler who's uh, too excited in a game of hide and seek, desperate to be found, and leaps out and says, Here I am, find me. 
And I praise you, Father, that that's exactly what you're like, that in the Bible, and the Bible's witness to who Jesus is, you've leapt out uh, and you've said, here I am, found, find me. And I pray now that as we listen to your words and as I teach them, that we would have ears that hear what you're saying to us and lives ready to be transformed, that uh, these 20 minutes we'll have together, laden them with greater gravitas than they deserve, Lord Jesus. They're going to be less than a half-time break, practically, of the football later on today. And yet we want them laden with the gravitas of your spirit at work through your word. And so I pray and I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. What I feel that God has laid on my heart, Phil very kindly said, come and preach on whatever you want. What I feel that God has laid on my heart, because it's an exciting time for you guys as a church, I think. Challenging and a bit intimidating as you move to a couple of services, and who knows where God might take you after that, is to have a look at what the opening half or so of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 um, has to say. Let me give you the context and then I'll explain why I want to have a look at this. This is written by a guy called Paul. He's often given the title the Apostle Paul, which means the sent one. And he traveled, he's, he was sent to town after town to try and intro, introduce people to Jesus. And you can read about how he did that in a town called Thessalonica, which you can still visit on holiday today, in Acts chapter 17. And we're told he comes to this town in Thessalonica and his normal practice, he goes first to the synagogue, then to the marketplaces, and he just tries to introduce people to his best friend Jesus. And persuade them to trust Jesus as, as, as his ruler and, and rescuer. And in Thessalonica, people start to respond really positively, just like we heard Tom. People have their hearts changed and they decide to get baptized and they become followers of Jesus. But a whole bunch of other people in Thessalonica are really angry at what Paul is doing. And a renter mob swings into action to try and lynch Paul. And these brand new Jesus followers, they're a matter of three or four weeks old. They, they say to Paul, you've got to flee or you're going to be assassinated. And Paul leaves Thessalonica, he travels down the coast, he comes to Berea. He does exactly the same thing there, starts to tell people about Jesus and people start to respond positively. But in about a week's time, they've sent assassins from Thessalonica, paid assassins, to follow Paul and to try and kill him in Berea. So he leaves Berea, they smuggle him out in the dark over a city wall, and he ends up in Athens. Athens, much more cosmopolitan, much bigger town, a capital city. So there it's a bit more acceptable to have these diverse views, and he settles there. But it's about three weeks now since he's left Thessalonica. And he's worried and he's anxious about these fledgling brand new Christians. Have they survived? What's happened to them? If they wanted to assassinate me, how have they treated this brand new church in Thessalonica? Now, he can't go back. His face is all over the wanted ads. He's the FBI's number one. So he sends Timothy, his sidekick, his apprentice, his face less well-known, he sends Timothy back. It says in chapter 3, right at the beginning, so when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, and we sent Timothy, who's our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Jesus, to strengthen and encourage you in the faith. You have to feel a bit sorry for Timothy, don't you, thrown into the lion's den. But Timothy goes back to Thessalonica, and he discovers this brand new group of Christians, six weeks old now, are thriving. They're doing all right. But one of the things that's happening around them is Paul's character is being assassinated now. Those who are so angry at Paul's preaching, having failed to assassinate him physically, are now assassinating his character. If they can muddy and dirty his character, if they can undermine Paul, they can undermine Paul's message. 
and maybe strong-arm these fledgling Christians to become persuaded it was just a phase they were going through. And so when Paul gets this report from Timothy, he writes this letter back. 1 Thessalonians is a letter he writes back to them. Now about two months since he was there. And one of the things he does in chapter 2 is an autobiographical sketch of how he behaved. And what it provides for us, you see, is a brilliant window in to what does it mean to be in a growing community where people are meeting Jesus. What is my response? How do I respond like Paul in such a way that when things change, when the pressure's off, when more people are coming to church than I've experienced before, what is my heart attitude to that? And what is it going to cost me? What is it going to cost me? Now, Paul gives four images that I want to look at, four ways he behaved. And I want to just encourage you as individuals and as a church, if I may, encourage you to think about your response to each one of these. How could I do this a little bit better as God's Holy Spirit takes hold of it? How could I live this aspect out a little bit better as God's Holy Spirit really takes hold of me and us as a church? But also, what am I going to need to put down? What am I going to need to to count the cost about and say, this thing I value, this thing that's important to me, this thing is not going to come with us on this journey, and I need to put it down. So let's have a look at the first one. The first one is that Paul says he was a trustworthy steward. Let me read sentences one to six. So 1 Thessalonians chapter two, let me read sentences one to six. It says this, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. We never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We're not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. He's talking about how he brought the message of Jesus to them, and he says we were a trustworthy steward with it. Did you see in verse 4, there's a little uh, word in sentence 4 there, entrusted with the gospel? That word is taken from the, the role of a steward in a household whose job was to go from the kitchen where the chef has prepared the meal and transport it, carry it down the corridor to the dining room where the guests were ready to eat. And the one characteristic that steward, that servant needed was trustworthiness, that she was not going to take anything off that plate and nor was she going to add anything to that plate. The way the chef had prepared it and put it together, her job was simply to, in a trustworthy manner, bring it to the people who were desperate to eat it without changing it, without thinking that she knows better, without thinking that that's not going to be palatable to the people and I need to just remove that or or add some extra and saying, no, I trust the way it's been prepared. This is what the people need. My job is just to get it to them. See, Paul is saying what he's received from God, here recorded for us in the Bible, 
that his job is not to make a judgment over whether he thinks that's right or wrong or whether God was correct. God is too wise to make a mistake, too loving to wish us harm. His job is simply to bring it to the people who God has put in front of them and and deliver it in a trustworthy fashion. Here it is. And so just think for a moment about your own individual life, your responsibilities towards children if you have the privilege of having them, or in the workplace, or in a role you have within the church community here, or talking to your friend over a coffee or on a run. Are you like that trustworthy steward? Or actually, knowing what you've received from God, as Phil and others take their responsibility to teach it to you properly, knowing what you've received, but between hearing it and receiving it, you say, I'm just not going to talk about that aspect of what God says. I'm just going to take that off the plate because I'm worried they might be offended. Might call me bigoted or might be angry or might break the relationship they have with me. It's tough to be trustworthy with God's word. What's the second image? The second image here is of a loving mother. It's quite different. Have a look at sentence seven to nine. Would you have a look there in your Bibles with you or on your device? Sentence seven to nine. It says, instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Do you see the image there? The second thing they were is like a nursing mother, a loving mother. A mother with a very young child, a child that still requires milk from her home, his or her mother, a really young child, said, we were like that nursing mother, incredibly tender, incredibly loving, and bearing the cost to see you grow. Did you see that? The one thing any of you who've had the opportunity to be a mum to a baby, one of the things you know is it's really, really, really hard work, isn't it? Really hard work. We've got four boys between the oldest and the youngest. They're slightly less than five and a half years. There was lots of young children in our house for a period. The youngest is now seven years old. I know how brutal that was on my wife. There's no better description than verse 9 of what it means to be a mum with a young child. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to you. That when the baby schools at 3 o'clock in the morning because it needs to be fed, you can't just roll over and say, the alarm's set for 6, you've got to wait, can you? You have to bear the cost of that. You have to peel yourself out of bed. You have to care for that young, fragile life. And Paul is saying, that's what I was and what we need to be like. That as Jesus is bringing new people to meet him, that they're young babies, they spiritually need nursing. It's going to take a lot of really hard work. And any mum I've ever spoken to when she talks about those early few months of having a baby, I think every mum I've ever spoken to says, I didn't know it would be this hard. And they talk about what they've had to stop doing, what they can no longer do, what they've had to put down to care for that young life. Preferences of Saturday morning lay-ins and brunches and 
It's all got to be put down to see a new life flourish. So again, the challenge just comes to us. What, what could that mean for you? What does it look like for you to say, actually, I need to serve another in a way that is going to cost me something? If God is going to continue to see this church grow, and if God is going to continue to say, this is a safe family for fragile spiritual babies to come into, he's going to need to see mothers, whatever gender you might be, but mothers ready to say, for the benefit of this baby's growth, I will give up these things that are my preferences. The one thing about parenting is never easy, is it? It's never easy. It's wonderful and amazing but it's not easy. Let's have a look at the third image. I'm praying the Holy Spirit is just doing his tentative work through his word. The, second, the third image here is the other side of the parental unit. I've called it an upright father. Uh, have a look, sentences uh, 10 to 12. Look what he carries on and says. He says, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blamelessly were, we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his light. I think the idea uh, that Paul has here of this father idea is the idea of a role model. You know, he says, you are witnesses and so is God, is how holy and blameless and righteous we were uh, in front of you, before you, that we provided a window into our lives and you got to see what it meant to live like Jesus. It's the role modeling of a father. It's having enough vulnerability and transparency into your real lives that people can look in and say, oh, I can see what it means to live for Jesus when you've had a really big argument with your wife. I can see what it means to live for Jesus when you've received the redundancy notice and in three months' time you don't know how to make the mortgage repayments. There's enough of a window into your life that young, new followers of Jesus can look in and say, I, I can see now what it means to be righteous and blameless and holy in the pressure of life. That's why Sunday morning church can never be enough. It can never be enough just to meet Sunday by Sunday. It's essential, but it's not sufficient. It's vital, but it's incomplete. If the only way you expect to grow in Jesus and see the church growing Jesus is through Sunday morning gatherings, essential but not sufficient, you must also create spaces where you have windows into other people's lives and they have a window into yours so people can see you are witnesses of how holy, righteous and blameless you were. Can see. Now that's a big challenge, isn't it? Because that means we're going to have to risk, we're going to have to risk people seeing that we haven't got it right, isn't it? The fourth and final image, which you'll have to work out in the week in your small groups and home groups, is of a courageous herald. Is that he was also courageous to speak this word out, and we must be as well. We haven't got time for it this morning, but I know Phil's prepared some awesome small group studies. So let's pause. A last minute to hear what God is saying to you. Which one of these are you good at and you want to thank God for? Are you good at being the trustworthy steward with God's word or the loving mother, the upright father, courageous in speaking out? Which ones are you good at and to thank God for it?
Which one is needed this week to be exhibited by you so someone else meets Jesus? Is there someone you need to love like a mother? Do you need to be a bit more trustworthy with what he's saying? Do you need to invite someone to look into your life? Which, which is needed this week for someone else to meet Jesus? And lastly, what is the personal cost for you to be this kind of Jesus follower? What preference, ideal or comfort do you need to put down to fully become this kind of follower of Jesus? Let me say a simple prayer and ask for the powerful spirit to work. Holy Spirit, would you take your word and do your work to your glory? And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.